Salt Company, it is good to be here. Uh, most of you don't know who I am. Uh, this is really throwback for me. It's throwback for a few of you guys, but I was on staff with Salt Company for a while. Uh, pumped to be here with you guys. Hey, specifically, if you are not a Christian and you're here, just want to say thanks for coming. That's not easy to do. Or if you feel like you've got a different background than a lot of the people here, um, it's just sweet that you're here, and, and I'm, I'm glad you came. Uh, one of the best summers of my life I spent in Istanbul, Turkey, which I've had the chance to travel to a bunch of different cities around the country and around the world, and I think Istanbul, Turkey is my favorite place on earth. It is this beautiful city on the water. It's very like east meets west, modern meets traditional, and I met um, a really good friend while I was there. His his name's Muhammad, and uh, we just spent the summer talking about life and some of the different experiences that we had had. And there was this one specific day that I went to, to meet Muhammad. We were going to grab Turkish tea because uh, they just sit around and drink tea all day. And they, it comes in glasses about that big, so you can pound like 30 of them over the course of several hours or whatever. And so we're going to drink tea. And I went to uh, Taksim on the subway, which is just this horrible tourist trap with like McDonald's and a bunch of dudes in like cargo khaki shorts. But then right off of the tourist traps are these, these little roads uh, that are just pedestrian streets. And it's only locals hang out there essentially and there's like lights that hang over the entire street. And up and down the street are just these little cafes with these, these tiny little tables with people chilling, drinking tea and the World Cup was on, watching soccer. And then if it wasn't a tea shop, it was hookah shops. And so the whole place was just like filled with smoke. And yeah, I went and hung out with, with Muhammad. And uh, we sat there and we drank tea and watched soccer and talked life for like six hours into the night. And we were going back and forth and eventually he started asking me about what I believe. And, and we just went back and forth a little bit to start to understand each other. And we realized that we both had uh, misconceptions about what the other one believed. But somewhere along the line, he asked me, Jordan, how often do you read the Bible? And I said, every day. And he went, what? Why? And and then he like expanded on that a little bit. And I I realized essentially what he was asking me is, like, is somebody making you do that? Like, do you have to do that in order to get into heaven? Like, are your parents telling you to do that? Is there some priest or whatever telling you to do that? And I was just like, no, I just love reading the Bible. And so I just do it. Like, nobody's making me do it. This isn't how I get into heaven. It's just this incredible book, and it was through the Bible that I found out who Jesus Christ was, who is this, he is the single most compelling and amazing human being that I've ever met in my life, and he's changed everything about my life, and I kind of just went on this rant that I didn't expect to go on, and he was like a little, like, oh, this is a little intense, a little thrown off, but he was actually, I think, really intrigued too, because here's what Muhammad understood about religion. He was a devout Muslim, and he understood discipline devotion, but he didn't understand delight. He didn't understand what it was like to be that passionate about what you believe and even just like the the rituals of how you follow what you believe. Tonight, I want to talk to you about the Bible, about this book. And and I I, I could spend so many ways trying to convince you to read this book and to give your life to doing what it says. I could tell you that this is 
uh, the most impactful book in the history of the world, and it's not even close, and, and that would be true. I could tell you that this is the, the greatest work of literature ever written, 66 books from different authors across different time periods that somehow has one unified story from page one to the end. It's all unified and has these incredible literary themes. I, I, I could tell you about a lot of things, but I think the best thing that I know how to give you is just my story of how this book changed everything about who I am about how I'm a different person, how I have hope now that I didn't have before, how I have meaning in my life that I never understood, how this book has become what my life is about. And so we're going to go to Psalm 119. So if you've got that book in front of you, it's awesome when you look at it at Salt Company. It's really important that you look at this book and don't just take what we say, but only when it aligns with what that book says. We're looking at Psalm 119, and Psalm 119 is written by King David, and it was essentially a worship song to the Bible. It's like a love poem to the Bible, which is a little bit weird. Usually we don't write love poems about a book, but that's what he does. And it's his personal expression of what this book has meant to him. And so that's why I felt like maybe the best way to go about this is to do the same thing that David did for you and just tell you about why I love this book and why I think you should love it too. And, and when I was studying this, the, one of the main verses that, that stuck out to me is verse 20, Psalm 119, verse 20, my soul is consumed with longing for your rules are uh, for your rules at all times. What? Let me read that again. My soul is consumed with longing for your rules. When is the last time you were consumed with longing for rules? Like how many of you have a memory of walking into your third grade classroom and on the whiteboard was written like the classroom rules and you rolled in and saw them and just went, yes, rules. Like I love, my soul has been waiting for rules. Um, you, a lot of you guys know Josh Langland. I haven't spoken to Salt Company in a while, so I don't get to name drop as much, so I'm going to do it here. A lot of you guys know Josh Langland. Josh Langland has never met a rule that he didn't want to break. Now, he hasn't broken all of them, but he wants to break all of them, right? We, we like to break rules, not be consumed with longing for rules. So, so here's one of the questions I want you to start thinking about is what type of rule could consume the longings and desires of your heart? Let me start with a little bit of my story. So I want to tell you how, to me, the Bible became my authority and how I discovered it as true. So when I was in junior high, my dad got sick. He had cancer. And it threw a lot of things into chaos in my life and made me start questioning a lot that was going on in my life. I'd grown up around Christianity, around religion, but something about the like good kid routine and the, the kind of cute little Christian quotes that people threw around wasn't cutting it in this moment. And so I started to question a lot of things. And I looked into other religions. And I eventually looked into atheism and, and was on the verge of becoming an atheist, this, denying my faith. Um, but I figured I should read the Bible just to be consistent. If I'm going to deny something, I should know what it says. And so I started reading the Bible mostly to try to disprove it. To, to, to show ways that it just it isn't legit. But actually what I found is the exact opposite. That the story that the Bible told mapped perfectly onto reality and began to explain things that I'd never been able to explain before about my life and about the world. The combination of brokenness and beauty in the world and in human beings, the Bible talks about that. 
and it talked about the morality that I found myself intuitively following but didn't know why and explained the source of that morality. And I found it just really compelling and it resonated with me as true, but I had heard all of the objections about the Bible that most of you have heard, right? That it's been changed over the, the course of history, that people have just sort of changed it, which just historically there's no evidence for, but I had, I had heard that, and, and I had heard that it's, it's not valid, it's, it's not reliable, you can't base your life on it, there's contradictions in it, and so I started to just dig into the evidence for the Bible, because I, even if it was compelling, I couldn't believe it if it wasn't reliable, if it wasn't true. Now, I'm not going to get too nerdy on you here, okay, but I dug into the manuscript evidence, okay? Manuscripts are copies of the original text because in ancient texts, we don't have the original written thing because it's too old, and so what you have is a bunch of copies of the original. Here's what you need to know is if you have a lot of manuscripts and if they were written fairly recently to when the original was written, you have a reliable ancient text, and what I learned is that the Bible, as far as how close it was written to the originals, blows every other ancient text out of the water. But I think the more impressive evidence is the number of manuscripts. So all you need to know is the more manuscripts, the better, the more reliable. So the work Homer, or excuse me, the work Iliad by Homer uh, is the most impressive ancient work that we have. And my guess is none of you have questioned whether it's true or reliable or not. We have 643 surviving manuscripts for that text. The New Testament, we have 5,686. In other words, it's eight times more historically reliable than the best ancient text that we have outside of it. And so the Bible is categorically the most reliable ancient work that is in existence. And if you're going to doubt the reliability of the Bible, you have to doubt the reliability of all of ancient history, which I'm guessing that no one in this room is willing to do. And so we have to be consistent with our logic. But not only is the Bible reliable, I came to it trying to question it and found out that really it was questioning me. I was trying to find out if it was legitimate, and here's what it proved in my life is that I wasn't legitimate. I was a fake Christian, and I didn't know what the real thing was at that point, and the Bible exposed that fakeness, that hypocrisy in me that we all hate, and I didn't realize was in me, but it was there. The Bible exposed it. Verse 7 of Psalm 119 says, I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. Okay, so that word righteous it means standard. So think like gold standard when you hear the word righteous, the standard by which everything else is measured. So let's say you're doing a little craft project, right? And you cut a piece of wood and you needed it to be two inches, but you go to measure it and it's three inches. Here's what you don't do. You don't throw away the tape measure. You realize that you cut the little block of wood wrong. You know the tape measure is accurate and you measure everything else against the tape measure. So the tape measure in that scenario is righteous. This is what this is saying is that God's word is righteous and that everything in existence is measured against its authority. That it is the thing that judges everything else and determines if everything else is true. Now here's why is because in the Bible, we have the very words of God himself. The Bible is an authority because God is the authority. Now, you can't tell someone how to live if you're not the authority. 
which I think we've kind of forgotten in modern culture and on Twitter. Like, I've got a friend on social media who recently just declared himself a life coach and started posting motivational expressions that he made up. You can't just declare yourself a life coach. Like, I'm just so frustrated. Um, so so if, if his little expression that he declared is true doesn't align with my life, I'm just going to be like, well, you're wrong. Like, like, why? I don't, you don't have any authority. I don't know why I would trust this. Okay? God has a little bit more reason to be our life coach than my buddy does. Namely, that he made you and he made the world. That's some decent authority to describe what the world should be like and how you should live. And, and, and the problem is, is when, when we come up against the Bible and there's something in it that we don't like or that frustrates us, which I have that all the time, by the way, just because you're a pastor doesn't mean that you stop doubting some of the stuff in here. I struggle with it, just like you guys do. But just because you come up against something that you don't like in it, your temptation will be to reject the Bible instead of to reject your opinion. But we're limited, not this book, because this book was written by God. London has a population of 9 million people. What are all their names? 979 Church Street, London has someone living in it. What is all the thoughts that that person had today? You don't know, God knows. And with that knowledge and authority, he wrote a rule, but it isn't just an arbitrary rule, it's a description of how the world works. He wrote a description about the best possible way to live. And the fact that it often contradicts our instincts is not evidence that it's false. That's actually good evidence that it's true. And I came to see all of that as good news. It, it, it challenged me. It was difficult for me. It still is difficult for me. But I came to see it as good news. Because here's what that means is that there's truth, like real truth, that you can build your life on. It just seems like everyone has lost their minds and nobody has any idea what's true. And we're just digging into whatever opinion or news source or whatever resources we're looking to, and we're just polarizing because nobody can agree on just like facts. Facts shouldn't have interpretations, they're just, they're just facts. But we can't figure out what's true, but in the Bible, we have a description of the ultimate reality of the universe, everything that's true, everything that's right and good that you can build your life on. And I started to learn how to build the foundation of my life on this book. And later when my dad eventually passed away, I learned how to trust that authority even in that moment when I didn't want to. That even in something like that, I, I learned, by God's grace, with a lot of failing, I learned how instead of pushing back on God's plan for my life and his authority, I learned... What happened? Oh, there we go. I'm back. I, I, uh, I learned how to let God start to change the narrative on my life through his word. And so my temptation in that moment was to believe that things were hopeless, and that I couldn't get through this. But here's what the Bible told me. This became the foundation of that moment in my life. James chapter 1, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, for you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. 
Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. The Bible rewrote my pain as an opportunity for glory, as an opportunity to grow, and it told me that my suffering wasn't arbitrary, but that there was purpose even when I didn't understand. And I learned how to let that be the narrative of my life instead of what I felt. I later learned when I fell into a bout of depression and suicidal ideation and anxiety, how to let the Bible speak back into that because I didn't know how to speak into that. Nobody else knew how to speak into that. When you're in moments like that, usually there's nothing that anybody can perfectly do to solve that. Right, but here's what I had. I had the word of God. I had Philippians 4 that says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition, present your requests to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And so I learned that even though I didn't feel peace, there was real peace out there and that it could guard my heart and my mind and that it could change the experience of my life. And it did, not perfectly, but it did. That started, that, that what I thought was just a theoretical idea in scripture, what I found to be the reality of the universe and of my life started to be how I lived. Psalm 119 says this, this is my comfort in my affliction that your promise gives me life. This is my comfort in my affliction some of you are in this moment right now. You feel pain, you feel suffering, you feel anxiety, you feel depression. This is what you need to know, that the word of God can give you life. Like in that moment in my life, when I felt like I was flatlining, it was the word of God that was doing chest compressions to bring me back to life. Psalm 19 says, the word of God can revive your soul. It can bring you back from the brink of death and help you start to live life. Live fully. So after I learned to trust the authority and the truth of the Bible, it began to become my delight, something that I, I loved. So Psalm 19 is, like I said, essentially a love song to the Bible. Like, so much so that... If it was a love poem that somebody was reading to like their boyfriend or girlfriend in this room, it would feel uncomfortable. Like you would feel like it was a little bit too intimate. David's writing that about a book. Okay, let me, let me give you a couple examples. Uh, verse 47, for I find my delight in your commands, which I love. <laughs> Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Now, now, I want you to notice something here. It's saying that the Bible and the experience with the Bible is full of joy. What it's not saying is you should be full of joy when you read it or that it's the right thing to do even though it's not very much fun. He's saying that joy is found here, that it can be something that you delight in, that you love. And then verse 14, in the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. In the Bible, I delight in as much as all riches. All right, let's test that. I bring a million dollars into this room in a giant brief. No, actually better, a million one-dollar bills. Bring it in in like a skid loader. It fills up like half this room. And then I put a Bible on the stage. Which do you choose? Here's what this is saying. 
is not just what you should choose, choosing the Bible would actually be better for your life. Okay, and that's not even all riches. Like, okay, think about, think about all riches. Like, what would you do if you had all riches? I got a little distracted in my sermon prep. I was getting a little bored, and so I thought about that question. Here's what I would do if I had all riches. I would fly in my private plane to my private island with my private golf course where I would have Tiger Woods, Morgan Freeman, and Mumford & Sons on retainer. Tiger Woods, okay? Tiger Woods to teach me golf. Morgan Freeman to be my caddy so when I made putts, it sounded like God was congratulating me. And Mumford & Sons to just play Little Lion Man everywhere I go because it's a great song, right? And so, so I would play golf on my, on my private island. Sometimes I would ride a horse and it would be like polo and I'd be hitting it as I rode past. I would ride my horse to my private aquatic plane, which I would fly out into the ocean. I would land in the ocean. Then I would go down to my house, which is underwater like an aquarium. And I would sit in my recliner with a silk robe and fancy, fancy French wine and I would watch sharks swim by. Okay, so that's what you could do with all riches. I don't know whether that house is like actually possible, but all riches seems like it could be possible, okay? That's what you could do with all riches. This is saying that if you could choose between that and the Bible, choose the Bible. It would make you more happy. Okay, now it's using a little bit of hyperbole, but here's what's, what's actually true about that statement, is even if you had everything on this planet, you still wouldn't have the joy that you could find in this book. Because you can have a lot of fun with things on this planet, but this book can offer you eternal life. It can offer you everything that your soul has been longing for that you can't find in this world. And it can offer you heaven, which will be kind of like that anyway. There's so much to be found in this book. You can delight in it. When I learned to delight in the Bible was when I heard Romans 8 preached for the first time. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free from the law of sin and death. I heard that preached at Salt Company when I was a freshman in college. And I had never heard that before and I had spent my entire life feeling shame and guilt. And it was like in that moment when I heard those words, there is therefore now no condemnation. And then the speaker said that if you're in Christ, that God is proud of you as his kid. It was like everyone left the room and it was just like me there in that moment. And I, and I don't know how to describe what I was feeling, but it was like relief and joy and, and hope and like purpose all at the same time. And, and I went home that night and I just read Romans 8 over and over and over again. Like long into the night, I just, I couldn't get enough of it. It was like my soul was like eating for the first time. It was like fresh water in a desert. Here's why. is because those words on the page weren't just words. They were the word. Here's what I mean. John 1 says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. It's referring to Jesus Christ. So God's word is his creative power. It's his authority. It's his grace in the world. And he first wrote that down for us in a book, but then that word embodied itself in Jesus and the authority and the creative goodness and grace of God became a person in Jesus Christ so that you wouldn't just know about the word abstractly, but that you could know him personally like a friend. And he actually calls you a friend in John 15. The word became flesh, it says, and it dwelt among us. And then verse 12 in John 1 says, those who receive him, he gave the right 
to become children of God. That if you believe that supernatural truth that Jesus is the Son of God, He's the authority and grace and power of God, and if you accept Him, then you can become a child of God. And so what was happening in that moment is I wasn't just hearing words preached to me from a stage, but the Word itself, the Word made flesh, Jesus Christ, who is risen from the dead, is still alive and active in the world, was coming to me, and He was speaking truth into my soul and telling me that He wanted relationship with me, which is the greatest thing on the planet. And that's why it was so full of joy. And here's how Jesus achieved that ability to do that, to come to us and to be close to us like that, is as a human being, he intentionally, willingly walked to the cross for you. Like it it wasn't an accident. No one put him there. The reason he was a human was so that he could become killable. God became killable so that he could substitute himself in your place, so that everything bad that you've done and that has been done to you could be put on him and be paid for and removed from forever, so that everything good that he's done could be credited to your life, so that you could live in the blessing that he deserved. And here's what happened on the cross, is that Jesus cried out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? The word himself cried out, and for the first time, the authority and word of God had no response come back to him. There was silence. Nothing happened when Jesus spoke. Why? So that when you cry out to God, God could answer you. So that you will never know what it's like to cry out to God for salvation and not hear an answer in return. You deserved no answer back, and so Jesus took that that answerless moment for you on the cross so that if you cry out to God, even right now if you cry out to him, you can know him. He will respond to you in love. Verse 1 of Psalm 119 said, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Okay, blessed, it it means favor. It, It means like happiness, joy. It it means like goodness coming at you. You have it in Jesus Christ if you want it. You have all blessing, all goodness, all favor from God towards you because of what Jesus did. And once you receive that blessing, the way that you access it, the way that you use it, you already received the gift, now you've got to start using it and enjoying it in your life. The way that you access it, use it, and enjoy it in your life is by doing what the Bible says. See, the Bible is great news. Not just about how you can be forgiven, but how you can live a transformed life that is a way better life. It's the way that you use and access the blessing. That's how the Bible became my delight. That's how I learned how to enjoy it. And then from there, the Bible became my craft, my passion. And I want you guys to consider if it could become that for you too. So, so here's what I knew about life before I understood the Bible. I knew that my life mattered, that it was worth something, And that I should devote myself to doing something with it. I should work really hard to pull out the significance of my life. The problem was, is I didn't know what to devote it to. 
I knew I mattered. I just didn't know how to live in a way that mattered. And so this is what I did like, like in high school before I really knew much about the Bible is I devoted my life to stuff like baseball and, and speech, okay? And I, I like studied baseball and I became like a pseudo coach on our baseball team. And I did like all of this like individual and group speech in, in high school and I did this like weird tongue twister that I still, like Peter Piper picked a patch of pickled peppers, how many pickled peppers did Peter Piper pick? I just did like a whole thing like that. And it took me like an unbelievable amount of time to memorize that and like figure out how to do it repeatedly. I like devoted myself to it. But here's the reality. I could tell you how to improv a joke in speech. I could tell you how to generate exit velocity on a baseball but I couldn't tell you what my life was for. I couldn't tell you how to be happy. I couldn't tell you how to suffer with courage and with faith and to not give up. I couldn't tell you how to live for something other than myself. Some of you could tell me all the places that you want to travel in your life. All the, all the cool places that you want to see. Some of you could tell me what's trending on TikTok. But you can't tell me how to maximize your life for the exact thing that God created you to do so that at your funeral, people will talk about your life and say the way that you lived mattered. That you maximized your life for something that was important and not something that was stupid. William Carey said this, I'm not afraid of failing, I'm afraid of succeeding in things that don't matter. Psalm 19 verse 37 says this, turn your eyes from looking at worthless things and give my life in your ways. Turn my eyes away from worthless things. You know what's worth devoting your life to? The Bible and the person that it points to, Jesus Christ. I had a mentor one time who was in ministry tell me the story of how he got in ministry, and I wanted to do ministry at that point. And uh, he hadn't gone to like a Christian school, and so he just told me about the spiritual retreats that he was taking where he was fasting and praying for days. This was when he was in college. He, he told me about his daily practice of reading the Bible, sometimes several times a day. He told me about all these ways that he was devoting himself to the Bible. He told me about his reading list of Christian books so that he could learn theology, and I was just like put in my place. <laughs> I wasn't doing any of that stuff. And I'm like, I, I want to be like him. And then he said this, I've never met a Christian that I respect who did not consistently get up early to spend time with God in the Bible and in prayer. You work hard to get things that you care about. So this is what I did. I started getting up at 5 o'clock in the morning, my junior year of college, going to bed at like 10, 10.30, and getting up at 5 in the morning to be with God. And you know what? It was terrible. I hated it. Just felt like straight death, and I couldn't concentrate, and I fell asleep through like a good chunk of it. But here's the reality, is I also loved it, because I started really slowly to become the type of person that I wanted to be for the rest of my life. And I was so sick of confessing that I was in, inconsistent in the things that I claimed mattered the most. 
I hated that. And so I just decided, like, I want to be different. I want to not just talk about the things of Christianity. I want them to be present in my life. And I just, I, I want to invite you to take a step that might be really hard and you might hate at first, that you'll end up loving, that will be a, amazing for your life. And, and some of you are like, well, the, the Bible isn't delightful for me. Like, I, I don't love it. It's hard for me. I don't get anything out of it. Okay, one little piece of that, I just want to encourage you. It takes time. Okay, just be patient. We're talking about a lifetime, not just like the next semester. Okay, so be patient. But also, of course you're not getting anything out of it. You're spending like five or ten minutes here and there sporadically, maybe, or you're just relying on Salt Company or Connection Group to kind of get you your Bible for the week. That, that's not enough. Okay, that'd be like saying that you went into the backyard with like a garden trowel and dug for five minutes and came in disappointed because you didn't find gold. If you want to find gold, you've got to build a mine. You've got to put in the work. So that one day you'll become the type of person that I hope you want to become. A person of love and faith who represents Jesus Christ to the world. Who is like him and lives out the joy that he has. So a lot of you in this room are, are achievers. Okay, You're just like better at life than I am. You guys just work so hard at stuff. It kind of blows me away. So I'm, I'm trying to play on that a little bit. All right, But, but let, me, let me give you something. Okay, A lot of you are probably goal setters. Guys, goals don't matter that much. I know, all right? Most of you are like, I don't care about that. A few of you are like, oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> Goals don't matter that much. Habits matter. If you say that your goal is to be a CEO of a company someday, but you don't change anything about the way you live your life now, you're probably not going to become that. But if, but if you have a different process for which you go about your life, different daily habits that you participate in, those habits will produce the results that you're looking for. And so I hope a lot of you are saying, I, I want to be a godly person. I, I want to be a good person. I want to I, I love Jesus for the rest of my life. I want to be a person who's devoted to the Bible and does what it says. That doesn't matter as much as if you decide tomorrow to wake up and read the Bible. And then you do it again, and you do it again, and you do it again for 10 years, and then 15 years, and then 20 years, and for the rest of your life. You got to develop habits. So if you're starting out, let me let me give you just like a baseline habit. That if look, I, I dare you to do this. I promise you, if you do this long enough, it will change your life forever. I I dare you to do this. Read the Bible 15 minutes a day. Every day, don't miss it. No more excuses. By the grace of God, by the Holy Spirit in your life, read the Bible. 15 minutes a day. Here's what I recommend. Divide that up into three chunks. It'll go super fast. Here's what you do. You read fast, then you read slow, and then you pray the Bible. First one, you read fast. For me, it helps to just set my timer for five minutes so that I'm not looking at my clock and it'll just go off and then I'll switch to the next section. So first you read fast. You open up your Bible. You just read it like a book. Okay, don't underline stuff. Don't try to get something to apply. I mean, that's good. Like, you should do that, right? But just, just like, read it like a book. The, the Bible is a story. It's a book. It's a novel. Just read it and get the big picture. Okay, so read it fast. Your, your alarm clock goes off. Then read it slow. So something that stuck out to you or a question that you have, go back to that verse or that word or that paragraph, and for five minutes, just read it over and over and over again. 
Pay attention to repeated words, how the words connect, and just think about it. So read fast, read slow, and then pray the Bible. So pray over that text that you just read. Or for me, I pray the psalm of the day every day. So if it's the, the 21st, I pray Psalm 21. Or sometimes I go into the hundreds and go Psalm 121. And, and I just read the first verse of it, and whatever comes to my mind when I read it, I just pray about that. And if nothing comes to my mind, I just skip it. It's fine. Just, there's a lot of them. Just go to the next one. And just, just pray. Just pray the Bible. And, and here's why you're doing all of this. Not to just check mark your little I read the Bible list. You're doing it to encounter God. This changed my life. I know this is a simple truth. When I figured this out, everything changed. The purpose is not to do some Christian stuff. It's that I get to talk to God. Like he talks to me through the Bible. And then I talk back to, to God. That's insane. That's so much fun. Like that, what? And, and look, you're not going to like feel it every time. And that's fine. That's not necessarily what I'm saying. I'm just saying you should feel something about that sometimes. Like, I'm not going to feel something every time I talk to my wife, but if I never enjoy talking to her, like, something's up, right? So you should, like, enjoy talking to God sometimes, all right? You're there to encounter him, to have a worship experience with him, to repent of sin, to, to be convicted of what's going wrong in your life, and to turn back to him. Encounter God. Don't just do it. All right. Some of you are like, I'm new to Salt Company. That was a lot of stuff. All right, here's why you should come to Salt Company this semester. Okay, no gimmicks, no free stuff or free pizza or whatever, although we'll give you free pizza in the future, and it's great. And, but, but none of that this time, all right? This is, this is COVID version. Here's why you should come to Salt Company. Come because when you come here, we'll tell you the truth. Come here. Because God will talk to you, and he can change your life. It's weird. We just stand on the stage, and we say words, and then people's lives change. Because they're not just words. They're the power of God. Come to meet God. Come to learn the Bible and find Jesus in it. Because without him, nothing matters. And you'll waste your life on meaningless and useless things. But with him, everything matters. Let me pray. God, I, I pray that, that what I just said, that, that people would do it, that, um, that, that you would help me to do it. It's hard for me to be disciplined in my life. I'm, I'm bad at it. I need your help. And we got to pray that the people that are new to Salt Company or, or maybe have been kind of in and out for a semester, that they would just come consistently and they would learn about you and that they would see it as an opportunity and not like something they have to do. Uh, help them to enjoy it, God. Would it be fun to, to, to come here and to worship you? And not only to come here, but to, to read the Bible on their own. God, I pray that people in this room right now would um, commit to reading the entire Bible this year, and then they would actually do it. I, I pray that people in this room would read the Bible every day for 15 minutes, and that you would transform their entire life forever. God, help us to actually do this stuff. And, and God, if, if there's somebody in this room who felt you like saying something to them, I pray that they would know that they have the right to be a child of God if they'll just ask you for it. Help them to say yes to you, Jesus. Amen.